Hola, this is Enrique Morones of Buen Hombre, Magnificent Mujer, with another uh, wonderful podcast produced by Sarah Bella and your host Enrique Morones of Gente Unida. And we have another Buen Hombre that we're going to be speaking with today. He's a good friend and he's uh, very well known to many of us in San Diego, not only in San Diego, but in other parts of the country and world because of his modesty, but especially because of his wonderful work with the Latino Film Festival and so much more. We have with us today my good friend, Ethan Van Thilo. Ethan, how are you, my friend? Really good. Thank you for the invite. I'm glad to uh, participate in another one of the uh, interviews with you. I think this is a, I've been on probably a dozen of your shows, Enrique. I can't keep track where you are these days. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, well, I used to have a, a radio show, as you know, two radio shows. Yeah, One was called On the Record with Enrique. That was in Spanish. I know you speak Spanish. And then another one was in English called, um, no, 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 the first one. Now I forgot. That was On the Record, which was the second one. The first one was actually called Morones por la Tarde. That's the one that was in Spanish. Okay, okay. And then, and then I had a podcast uh, more recently, which was called That Hombre. And that was in English. And, uh, so, and you were on all of those. So, yes, yeah, so it's good to hear from you again. And one of the questions I often get, because your your name, Ethan Van Thilo, were you related to Ludwig Van Beethoven? That's a question I often get. I don't know if that's true or not. No, no, unfortunately not. But, uh, you know, my, so my father grew up in Belgium. So that's where the name comes from. He's a, from the Flemish area of Belgium and grew up in Antwerp. Um, unfortunately, I don't speak Flemish, but I grew up in a household here in Southern California, listening to Flemish, my grandparents, my dad, my uncles, and we visited Belgium as much as possible uh, growing up. Um, just a wonderful country, uh, so filled of art and music, and honestly, I think it's that um, love of art and music um, uh, that has just kind of inspired me my whole life, you know, I just continue down that same path, whether it's film, music, art, but uh, just I grew up in a family with a love of art and, and, and music. Uh, thankfully, uh, via my dad in Belgium and, and his 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 father as well, love of classical music um, and just love of great art. And then uh, on my mom's side, my mom is from uh, here in the United States. Uh, her parents, uh, grandparents originally from uh, Italy, but uh, ended up in uh, <clears throat> Memphis, Tennessee. Um, but from my mom's side, it's been all about education. My mom's been an educator, was an educator for, for you know, 30 plus years. And so I grew up with, uh, you know, education, social justice, uh, visiting families with her, uh, trying to always do, you know, help, help the community out, help, help those out. So that's really what I'm all about is my dad's love of art, music, uh, and then my mom's side of social justice and education. Thus, you have uh, Ethan Von Thiele. Well, so if it's Tuesday, it must be Belgium. Uh, <laughs> I love go. Belgium. Yep, thank yep. you. Thank you. Sarah has no idea what we're talking about, but no. she's too young. But, <laughs> but, but as far as uh, your, your background, which is, uh, that explains a lot of, of who you have become. Uh, the, the arts and the education and the social justice is always at the forefront of what you do. And uh, and where were you? Were you born in in the Santa Cruz area or here in Southern California? Because I know you went to school in Santa Cruz. Yeah, yes, yes, Southern California. Uh, you know, uh, I think there was no hospital in San Clemente in 1970. So I yeah, yeah. So I you know I 
was born in, a, in Southern California. Uh, there was no hospitals in San Clemente in 1970, so uh, uh, was born in Laguna Beach, the beautiful mm -hmm. Laguna Beach, but grew up in a beach community around surfing, uh, that, uh, uh, the whole environment near, near the beach, beautiful place. Um, but that said, I, I can always to tell that I was kind of doing different uh, things. You know, uh, this was again with the help of my mother, you know, in terms of learning Spanish, hanging out with uh, her students. So my best friend was Tony Bedoya and we would travel to Uriangato, Guanajuato. Uh, I would, uh, I grew up playing violin, but then I started playing guitar, started playing like cumbia music, um, playing quinceañeras, beans. Um, and then starting, and for the first time, especially after I traveled to Mexico, starting to really understand the, the migrant experience, the immigrant experience, uh, and the really the uh, overt you know, racism um, um, in, that was taking place in, in San Clemente, uh, and the issues and how uh, the immigrant community, the Mexican community was treated in San Clemente. I started really seeing that. And then I, uh, I got accepted to UC Santa Cruz, and I think UC Santa Cruz kind of helped reaffirm kind of what I've been taught by my mother and parents my life and but what I have been seeing is really you know connected to the Chicano studies there the Latin American studies and just you know without knowing it became a Latin American study major but started taking all these wonderful classes where I learned about the Chicano experience and the history and Latin American activism um, and it was there where I uh, met a professor named Armando Valdez and Armando Valdez was part of the Chicano movement and he was the first person, I, I was taking a Chicano studies class from him, and he said, hey, who wants to organize a Chicano film festival as part of your final class project? And I naively raised my hand and said, sure, this would be fantastic. Um, and that's where I learned basically everything that I know today. I mean, he, he connected me with Chicano filmmakers, uh, Isaac Artenstein, Paul Spinoza, Montezuma Sparsa, Jesus Trevino. Uh, he taught me the beginning steps of, you know, how do you write a proposal to get funding for the different departments there at the university? How do you market a film? So we, we literally, you know, um, draw or, you know, uh, drew our first poster. Um, so marketing, fundraising, all that, that was the first, uh, that was 1989 when I organized that, uh, my first Chicano film festival. 1989 and going from the, uh, from behind the orange curtain to coming over to a more liberal type of a setting, eventually going down to a UCSD. And it's very interesting how um, in with previous guests that we've had, uh, people always bring up the people that influence them, you know, how they change their lives. Yeah. Uh, I was talking to Josefina Lopez and she was talking about, oh yes, uh, Valdez and how he inspired me and, and uh, Hugo Castro, oh yes, it was Rogelio Reyes. They talk about people that influenced them in their lives, and it kind of shifted what was going on in their lives, but they already had that deep in their hearts. It just hadn't come out because maybe they hadn't answered the call. You know, there was something back there, and they didn't know what it was. And I think that's so important for so many of us. And, and you know, talking about what Orange County was and how it's dramatically uh, changed, as you know, I've been in, in some of the, the films that you've shown, and some of them have dealt with the, the Minutemen. And I was just reading an old article I found from many, many years ago that was in Reader's Digest. And it said the, per the, the person that's like the anti-Minuteman and, and, and so on and so forth. They were talking about the work that I was doing. And it was talking specifically about two Orange County people, Jim Gilchrist and Chris Simcox, which were the founders of this racist group called the Minutemen. 
which thank God they were shut down. But now we have a situation much worse, but, uh, but that's another story. So you, you're at Santa Cruz and you're influenced by um, Armando Valdez and you eventually work your way down to UCSD, was it? Where you were also very active here in, in San Diego and you eventually moved to San Diego? Yeah, so, so my, my partner, uh, you know, of 30 years, uh, she came down here to get her teacher's credential uh, at, at UCSD. Um, I was then uh, working part-time. We actually both got jobs working for the County Office of Education with the Migrant Education Program. So uh, visiting uh, migrant families in the summer, doing tutoring, uh, you know, visiting, visiting home around uh, San Juan Capistrano, even down to San Diego County, up here in San Diego County. But so, yeah, I started doing that kind of work in terms of just getting paid, but also working with the community. But then, yeah, I, I basically said to myself, uh, looking around in the area, I said, you know, well, I know how to organize a, a, a Latino Chicano film festival. And I don't see, you know, a film festival taking place with you know, a huge population. When you look at the, both sides of the border, Tijuana and San Diego, Boy, there's just a huge population that you know I know would want to see images of themselves and see movies uh, about the Latino or Chicano experience. Again, I knew how to get money from uh, you know and funding from UCSD or the UC system. So uh, from my experience at uh, Santa Cruz, so then yeah, I immediately connected with uh, uh, Adolfo Guzman and Jean Chavira, who were the editors of the Voz Fronteriza at the time at UCSD. And they were the uh, student organization that kind of was my, they were my fiscal sponsor. And so via the Vols from Teresa, we were then able to get funding from the Chicano Studies Department, the History Department, the Women's Studies Department. And so we pieced together a festival. And then I did the same thing by connecting with um, ASB uh, at the uh, San Diego State University. And so we started, part, we started creating all these partnerships, the State University, UCSD, uh, UABC in Tijuana, um, and then at some point too, around that same time, Jean Chavira, uh, Adolfo Guzman Lopez introduced me to uh, Eloisa de Leon at the Centro Cultural de la Raza, and the Centro also became a partner uh, of, of the film festival. So <clears throat> early on, it was really, 1994 was the first film festival. We call it Cine Estudiantil. It was the only Chicano student film festival of its kind. Uh, we screened U.S. Uh, students, Latino student work, but also student work from uh, Mexico City and, and Latin America. Um, you know, maybe screened 20 films max, maybe 400 students came. You know, we used to kind of force all the students and participants to sit in the classrooms and, <laughs> and have a long discussion about the films afterwards. Um, but those were the early early years, and I still connect to some of those students. You know, for example, uh, you know the filmmaker Alex Rivera. Uh, his first student film festival. He's a New York filmmaker. His first film was in my you know 1994 film festival. And now he's you know making films at Sundance, the Infiltrators, that documentary um, that we were just going to screen this year. So it's neat to see the the history, Carlos Carrera, Carlos Cuaron, even, you know, famous Mexican filmmakers that started in 1994. We, we used to screen their student films. So wonderful. Uh, that was the, the the start of the Cine Estudiantil, the Latino film was, was 94. And in partnership with all these, so you talk about mentors, so wonderful mentors, but then also just the importance of partnerships and just connecting with people and getting people together 
And that's what's made the festival so exciting is that it's not about one organization, it's about all these community organizations always getting together and feeling a sense of ownership of the festival. That is so true. And not only uh, as far as organizations, but being in realizing that all of these movements is, is, is a movement. It's a bunch of people. It's not just one person. And I think a lot of times people lose sight of that. And we've had some, such legendary filmmakers, like you mentioned, Paula Espinosa and, and other people that are still very, very active. Now, you mentioned um, so when, when you did this first film festival after coming down from Santa Cruz, your, firm, your first film festival in San Diego. Was that at UCSD? Well, it, it actually, it was everywhere. Sorry, it was, it was kind of a little, we, we at, were at UCSD, but then we actually went to Mesa College. I, uh, there's a, there was a Chicano, or it is the Chicano Studies Department there. Then we went to San Diego State University, and then we also went to Uavise in, in Tijuana. So I connected with uh, Harco Amesco, with a young, uh, you know, artist down there in, uh, in Tijuana who connected me with UABC and the Instituto Cultural de Baja California. So we screened at La Casa de Cultura. So it was a binational festival, just a ragtag group of, uh, you know, uh, young uh, volunteers. And, you know, we were carrying around these 16 millimeter prints and, and, and projectors around. And, you know, the, the famous stories, but we were at the Casa del Cultura with Carlos um, Avila, who's a great filmmaker out of LA. We were, uh, the same night we had screened his film, but we were also screening another film. And it was kind of an experimental film. And we had actually had to make our own uh, projection screen. So the night before, painted a screen, made this screen at, at the Casa del Cultura in Tijuana. And then we borrowed this projector from Uabe, say, everything's working fine, but we're looking at the screen and we're like, oh my gosh, this is a very experimental film that we're looking at here. But of course it was burning. It was, the, the, the print was actually on flames. Um, so uh, again, it was just, it's always, the interesting thing about that is that this festival, the struggle, the arts organization that we created has always been a struggle. You know, it's just, this type of work you do because the passion and never been easy, but uh, so many different wonderful experiences. And, you know, seeing Carlos Avila, a, a young Chicano from LA talk about his, you know, Chicano film to the Tijuana audiences there, you know, again, that's what makes it all worth it. And, you know, now, you know, that was 94. So now we've had thousands of those interactions between filmmakers, and audience members, and you know, so many different uh, people have experienced the festival. And you were way before your time when you were working across the border with Uabese and, and you said about that film, so you've always had literally hot films, even since the beginning, where the screen was actually burning up. Burning. The 3D effect was un burning up. Yeah, that's, the 3D effect was unbelievable. How you would uh, be such a visionary that you would make it look like an accident, but actually you had planned that. No, I'm just kidding. But how about, uh, you talked about migrant education, which has been a dear part of my life, with working with people involved in migrant education. I don't know if you ever came across a dear friend of mine, Maria Chavez was very active with migrant education. Of course, of course, of course, we worked with her. I mean, so uh, after I started the festival in 94, the festival started, we started doing like year round programming, working at libraries and the festival itself grew. So in 1999, then we created the nonprofit organization called Media Arts Center San Diego. And that nonprofit's the umbrella to run the San Diego Latino Film Festival. Uh, and the you know various Latino film programming, but then also 1999, the first program that we created was called the Teen Producers Project, 
and the Team Producers Project is, a, is an important work that we've been doing now for over 20 years where we get cameras and you know computers and software in the hands of youth that usually don't have the opportunity to do these types of programs, teach them how to do pre-production, production, and post-production, teach them how to tell their stories, tell stories about their community, about important issues in their community. And so 1999, the County Office of Education and Migrant Education you know, worked with them before. So I just, they were my first, basically the first partner. And they were the ones that really, they contract us and, and filmmakers. So we then were able to hire young makers. And we took these filmmakers uh, around the county, actually up to Orange County, all the way down to San Ysidro, wherever the migration program was. And we would take the, uh, in that time, it was small mini DVD cameras and laptops and we were in nine sites at, uh, at once, basically, during a week, and we would work with you know, 12 plus uh, migrant education uh, students uh, a day. Again, teach them. It was 12-week sessions, and at the end of each session, there was family screenings, community screenings, and they would produce these wonderful videos. And again, those are still some of my favorite videos that I, I, I continue to see from our Team Producers Project, project because they were about the migrant experience. They're about growing up in San Isidro or, or in Fallbrook and, and the issues that they were looking at. We did a whole uh, series of uh, Latino activism and Escondido, called Escondido. So, you know, it was those early videos uh, and the power of seeing one, the, the one's voice. Again, it's not about having fancy, you know, equipment and production, it's just about the rawness and the importance of getting the youth and, and community members to tell their story. And, and also it's a sense of pride too, you know, seeing, so if you imagine you're, you're in high school in Escondido or wherever you may be, you know, you're not, you have, you're having, you're being forced to speak English and you, you know, so we, we would allow the students to speak whatever language they want to. We would allow the students to tell their story. And so there's a sense of pride and, you know, um, you know, not just doing the rote kind of like I'm taking these tests or just trying to get through high school. We were, it's a sense of pride and for the youth to participate. And so, yeah, the Maria Chavez County Office Education Migrant Education Program was very important to the the beginning of our education programs called the Team Producers Project. And how can, and the, yeah, those are such wonderful programs, both the Media Arts Center that you started and the Team Producers uh, Project. How do people get involved in that? Because you might remember my nephew uh, actually interned with you at another project that I want to talk a little bit about, the Digital Gym. And uh, how, how can people find out more about that? Because some people that are listening incredibly might be hearing about these, these, uh, these programs for the first time. So, and you talk about the funding, which is so important to all our work. So how can people get involved in these programs, whether it's the Media Arts Center, the Team Producers, the Digital Gym, and how can they support it? Is there like a, like websites or, or people can volunteer, donate? How can people get involved? Yeah, yeah, definitely check out the, the, the main film website, sdlatinofilm.com, sdlatinofilm.com. You can check out uh, when the next events are, when the next festival is, uh, how to submit your work. It's called Call for Entries. Every year there's a call for entries. Uh, also, there's a volunteer button. You can get involved as a volunteer. And then the MediaArtsCenter.org is the next website, MediaArtsCenter.org. That's the website. Again, that's the umbrella for the film festival, but there's information on the film festival. There's information on our education programs, the Team Producers Project. We also have youth media and tech camps for young kids. Uh, we also have a video production services, or what I call community production, 
where we work with the community and tell stories. And so if you're a young filmmaker that's listening and want to produce content, uh, you can get involved and help us actually produce content. So we have a pro big program called Speak City Heights where we work with community members and tell stories about community organizations in the City Heights area. Um, so there's two main departments, is education, exhibition, and production. And so various ways to get involved, uh, either as participants, youth, volunteers, and then of course in this um, time of crisis at this moment, uh, donations, you know, if you just want to donate and support what we're doing, uh, everything is very helpful and needed at this important time. Absolutely, and, and uh, as you know, you've invited me several times to the Latino Film Festival, whether it's to introduce a film or it's a film that we're involved in or, or that we're in. You may have heard the podcast not too long ago with our friend Josefina Lopez, and she was talking about a little bit about Detained in the Desert, which is one of the films that, that featured some of our work. But it's not just local uh, type of issues. Uh, this past year, you had at the Latino Film Festival the shorts. And I remember uh, a, a dear, very dear friend of mine, somebody that worked with me as a volunteer uh, for, she's done it, she's, as a matter of fact, she was heading over here, but with the virus, wasn't able to make it. She had a short, and, and I remember when she told me she was coming all the way from Holland, she goes, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm going to be in this contest for the, the best short or something like that. So I thought the short was going to be like 20 minutes or something like that because she's just flying all the way from Holland with her mom. And I go, yeah, how long is the short? And she goes, two minutes. And I go, you're flying all the way from, from, from Holland to the United States to see if your film is selected and it's two minutes? I go, that's really dedication. That shows you how fired up these young people get about that. And of course, I'm talking about Julie, whose film actually won the, you know, that, uh, that, you know, that, the, the, the short uh, contest. And you could see how excited she was and the other people that have their films, whether it's the two minute short or, or you know, the story about themselves. And, and if it's a person that doesn't speak English and they're speaking in Spanish and the pride in the family seeing their loved ones work on the screen. That is so powerful. It's just hard to uh, to explain how powerful that is. But you've lived it because you've seen all of these. You've seen all of these stories and, and the impression it makes on them to continue. We were talking a little bit about you know role models, whether you're at Mesa and there's Rita Sanchez or at San Diego State and all this, you know, you know, various people. But how about the empowerment that these young people feel? after their film is made, they see it on the screen, whether they win the award or not, just the fact that they've done something that's being recognized. How about that power? Yeah, and then there's also the power of seeing oneself on the screen for the first time and maybe in a positive or more accurate light. So again, if you remember, if you, if you just grow up your whole life, all you see is like negative images of yourselves or negative images of your communities. It's just like, you know, you turn on Fox News, right? It's just, oh, this murder, this fear. You know, it's like uh, your whole life you've seen that. So the festival, like, strives to, like, break that down and say, look at all these positive and accurate uh, images. And so, you know, in addition to producing them, we also have something called Two Cine, which is an annual uh, it's a free student outreach screenings uh, during the film festivals in the morning. So, like, you know, uh, close to 2,000 middle schoolers and high schoolers will come with their teachers to see movies. Again, it's it, the importance to, you know, um, see oneself on the screen and see, oh my gosh, I can be a doctor, I can be a lawyer, I can, you know, be an artist, you know, so 
that's to me it, what the festival has been really important for too is the, the young kids seeing themselves on the screen and yeah i hope they, they produce their own content too but at minimum uh just trying to change the negative and and at the negative stereotypes that we're constantly being bombarded uh, with it and yes i think things have definitely improved in terms of the uh you know latino hollywood and you know the images uh, more actors and directors on the camera more directors behind the camera uh that said there's so so we're so far away uh, from what we really need to be you know uh, if you compare with the percentage of latinos uh, population in the united States. yes we have we have a long ways to go and also uh but it's affected other communities just the other day i was in, i was talking to leanne kim whom you know and the fact that they've started their uh you know the asian film festival or the jewish or the gay i kind of think of you sometimes the story sort of like comic-con where they started in a, the garage of, or a, the basement of a little hotel or something and that was just so huge the latino film festival has multiplied with other film festivals from other communities using your role model to also talk about their communities which are equally important yeah 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 i mean uh, asian film festival is a great example of what's happened here in san diego the san diego uh film festival scene is is, is incredible now right it's the you know the jewish film festival the african-american film festival uh gay and lesbian film festival. I mean, there's just so much opportunity uh, to see great independent uh, and foreign films and then also celebrate one's community, one's culture, one's identity, one's, one's gender, um, which is really important because, again, the film festival is much more than just this kind of entertainment. Oh, I'm going to see this telenovel. Like, for many people, the film festival is almost like, you know, you come home once a year. It's, a, it's about family. And so, um, you know, I think for many people that we live in the border you know that we there's a lot of uh, mexican films that we were seeing but imagine if you're from argentina from chile peru brazil and you don't get the chance to see um and hear your dialect or hear your stories on screen so it, it's almost this wonderful opportunity to come out and see friends and family every year and see one's identity one's culture and be on the big screen so it's much more than just the entertainment uh, you know event it, it is much more. And then people like my mom, who's in her 90s, and when I've taken her or somebody else has taken her to the film festival, one of the many uh, wonderful things is when they see these old stars from the telenovelas or from the movies, I have no idea who that person is, but I realize it's somebody that's well known by the reaction of people from that age group or from that community, like maybe they're from Brazil or from Peru or, or et cetera. And that's, that's such a wonderful uh, reaction that you see, because I'll be standing next to the person just by chance, and I have no idea who they are. And, but then all of a sudden you'll see a crowd coming because they want you know, to take a picture with that person or get their autograph. You must have a lot of uh, examples of times that, that you've been, because you're always so low key about it, but you mm -hmm. might well be walking along with Diego Luna or, or, uh, you know, or, or, or somebody along those lines that it's a, is a better known star and uh, how you kind of control the crowd or, or how you interact with them, because I'm sure there's a lot of people trying to find out where they're staying or, or wanting a picture when it's the wrong moment. How do you deal with that? Uh, yeah, well, first of all, it's, it's, it's the festival staff, the spe uh, you know, all the festival staff every year that works tirelessly um, 
number one is to you got to find the films and then you got to like convince all the uh, famous actors and filmmakers to attend and you know hopefully uh, you know it fits in their schedule and you know and, you know just remember we're a small nonprofit you know we're not paying these people you know Kate Castillo or you know Carlos uh, you know Alfonso Paron to attend the festival it's you know they're also doing this attendance of their heart or you know hope it's a you know promotion of a specific film and so you you got to fit all this between all their schedules and stuff like that so yeah so a, a team of volunteers and you know independent contractor staff that work literally three months plus you know just to try to get all this together and then yes once they come into town you want them to have a good time so who's who's driving them here who's driving them there how do they get into the airport how do they get in the make sure they have a nice hotel Lots of them want to go shopping, so make sure they get some shopping in, uh, or they want to go to the beach, Coronado, La Jolla. So you try to give them a wonderful experience. Um, yeah, at the festival, you want to make sure they introduce, have a good Q and A, um, and and have a good experience. And then you know, yeah, you balance the needs of the attendees who want to take photos and and all that kind of stuff. And again, mostly it's, it's all it's. It's been very easy over the years in general, but yeah, when you have someone like Kate Castillo come in and people like running after her, <laughs> you know, then you have like security issues and you bring you bring him in through the back of the space or like Jaime Camille, you know, there's some talent that you kind of have to kind of sneak him in. Um, but in general, everyone has been wonderful. And, and for me, again, having done it for 27 years, I think, um, you know, I, again, what I what I guess I regret a little bit is I I've been so busy working over the years that I I miss things too. You know, I I haven't had even met everybody that's attended the film festival because I might be somewhere else running around or something like that. So it's a really interesting experience to look back uh, and to see all these amazing people that have come and those that I've met, but maybe those I haven't met and. And the other challenge for me as an organization is how do you keep connections with them? Because especially once they get famous, it's like, oh, it's impossible to get, you know, get them back and stuff like that. So, you know, to try to get Diego Luna or Gael Garcia back, it's just, <laughs> it's been impossible. We've been trying for years, you know, ever since they came a long time ago. Well, I have a, a slight relationship with some of those people and uh, they all speak very highly of you and the great work that, you're, that you've done. And like you said, the staff. Tell me a little bit about Moises. He is unbelievable. What he does there, and 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 uh, when I see you running around, he's also running around like a lot of the staff. Tell me a little bit about him because we want to learn more about him and and talk to him in the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Moises Esparza is just a great example of gosh, so many people that I, I've had the privilege to work with over the years. Again. Um, I can't know I can do this by themselves. It's, it's it's a team effort, and so over the years we've just been so fortunate to have the dedicated individuals. And so Moises Esparza is currently currently our, our main curator. He curates all the movies, uh, special titles. I think is exhibition manager. Um, but he started about six seven years ago as an intern. So uh, like many uh, those that continue to work with us or that have worked with us in the past, they they start as interns or volunteers. Um, you know, uh, film majors or interested in film or interested in the Latino community. In his case, he's a film major and getting his master's at the San Diego State University. Um, and yeah, he's one of those individuals that you just immediately see the, the passion. Um, oh my gosh, and so intelligent and his, his ability to curate movies and his writing of all the synopses. And so 
again, what you see is in, in the public. So there's about 175 plus movies that are in the festival catalog. Then he, on top of that, he curates uh, 15 to 20 movies a month at the Digital Gym Cinema. So you're talking 300, 400 films that are being curated by him on an annual basis. But those are the ones that you just see in the public. You don't know what he's watching at home at all times of the night, you know, just to try to view these films. So there's close to 800 films a year that are just screeners that, you know, he's watching to try to, to decide what to screen or not to screen. And, you know, and I, maybe some people think it's simple. Oh, we're just going to pick the whatever is popular or whatever, whatever film. But no, there's a lot of thought and process that goes into uh, creating uh, the experience. It's like going into a museum uh, it, which has been curated. The, the film festival has been curated and then there's certain themes and issues that he's looking at. There's certain styles of films that he's looking at. And same thing with the digital gym cinema too. You know, we're trying to get a diverse, uh, you know, uh, example of uh, international independent cinema. Um, so it, it's a lot more than just like picking whatever's popular or whatever people get us. I guess. So, and then, yeah, having someone like Moises Esparza, who's just so dedicated, so committed, and um, you know, especially during this, you know, crazy time of crisis that we're currently li living in. But the amazing thing about Moises and other staff too is the flexibility. And you know, I, I, I myself kind of been for 27 years. Uh, anyone running an arts organization or running a small nonprofit, I think, uh, and Moises exemplifies this. You just have to be innovative. You have to be flexible. Uh, you have to be very quick, um, so we can do things. Uh, I create an event on a dime and constantly looking at new ways to reach people. And uh, and then also you just need to well you need to work hard. And then also you need to commit. So I think uh, Moises is one of those individuals too. Is that you know just like you know me and other staff. You know once you say that you're going to do something, you, you do it and you make sure you do it. You know? You do have an, an excellent team. You were talking about create. How about this unusual situation that we're living in right now, where you had the film festival all ready to go. People were excited. You had, you know, the great parties because you also have these great parties, receptions. I remember last year yeah. uh, I went to a reception for Julie's film and, and it was in one of the stores there in the, in the shopping center and so on and so forth. So all of those things take a lot of work. So you have everything ready. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, because nobody expected this, we have the situation we're living in. So what's, what's that been like? I know it's been crazy, but so you have to tell all these people, you know, don't come. Uh, everything was prepared. What, what's been happening? Yeah, that was probably the hardest email I've ever sent in my, you know, history of uh, this nonprofit, you know, because, again, I just said, the, you know, the word commitment. You know, I, for 27 years, have committed to bring the film festival to the San Diego, Baja California region. And again, that's a commitment that's, you know, it's like, it's just like this crazy process, almost like giving birth every year. The amount of work that it takes, uh, the, literally the blood, the sweat, the tears, there's lots of crying every year. There's a lot of work that it takes to put on this festival. So people don't see that the three to four six months of work just to get to that process and so you do all that work and then yeah march 12th you know after the governor announced uh, the new uh, rules uh, about public gathering you know i had to send out that email basically to staff and you know the board members first canceling or postponing the event and then 
then we had to send it out to the uh, general audience as well. Yeah, that was probably the hardest email that I've, I, I've ever sent. Um, you know, and again, because when you think about all the work and then you think about all the filmmakers that have participated, the people that bought tickets to attend, the people that took off work, you know, because people take off work and it's, it's their vacation. Um, filmmakers and actors who have already bought their airline tickets that are, that are coming here. Um, so yeah, it's just monumental uh, in the scope and how it's just, uh, in the past month, our whole worlds have been turned upside down. And, you know, financially for a small nonprofit, it's literally, it's devastating. You can't, I can't say anything else. You can't kind of hide the fact that it's not devastating because uh, every year you take a gamble uh, in terms of organizing an event. You know, you are already you know, paying film rentals, you're already renting theaters, you're already buying airline tickets, hotel tickets, you know, you have to buy all that stuff in advance. And you don't get the money until ticket sales come in. And so the ticket sales don't come in until, well, the, the box office is open. So, you know, usually, you know, gosh, we put $150,000 on credit cards, you know, whatever lines of credits to, you know, to get the festival running. And then during the 11 day festival, you make that back with the ticket sales. But of course we didn't have 11 day festival. So now I'm, I'm stuck with $150,000 debt, um, credit cards. Um, and then on top of that, so the staff is resilient, right? So yeah, okay, we have to postpone the festival. We'll have it in the fall. So, you know, we've already talked about having it in the fall. But, you know, but then we, you know, immediately turn our, you know, minds to our other program. Okay, well, let's keep our movie film, movie uh, theater going, the Digital Gym Cinema, or let's keep our, you know, we got, we got our, our spring youth and tech camps also. You know. <clears throat> but of course, in literally one week or two weeks, all that was also canceled. So in literally in, in, in the course of two week period, the whole organization's, um, you know, structure and programming was just kind of just just flattened, canceled. So there's no, the movie theaters closed, the film festivals postponed, the education programs are stopped. And so, yeah, you're just looking at it yourself and everyone just like, oh my gosh, what are we gonna do, what are we gonna do now? And so that's kind of where we're at right now is uh, basically regrouping um, as everyone else is, right? Everyone else is in the same boat. This is just a monumental crisis that uh, it's just in, you know, affecting everyone around us. but. So now we're just regrouping as good arts organizations and artists do, innovative, uh, flexible, and seeing what the next steps are. It's, yeah, it's been, it's, it's encouraging to know that you're planning to do it in the fall because, uh, yeah, it is such a big event for so many of us and, and it opens up the doors for other organizations. I remember one time I was at the film festival, at your film festival, with a dear friend of mine, uh, rest in peace, Gladys Jones, who was the founder of the House of Peru, we were watching a Peruvian film, which was really hilarious, uh, and, and, and how that would help the House of Peru, like a fundraiser for the House of Peru. As you know, I'm the founder of the House of Mexico, and you've also done things for us where we would have uh, a film, a Mexican film, and we'd have a reception to raise some money, and we'd all go as a group to see the film. And we don't wanna miss those opportunities, but more importantly, the fact that there's so many people not only enjoying the festival, but that depend on the festival, you know, like Moises and others that work there. Some are volunteers, some are paid staff. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about some of the things that you've been involved with, like for example, the, uh, the National Endow Endowment for the Arts or the San Diego Commission for the Arts and Culture. Because I understand that San Diego is surprisingly like one of the, recognized as one of the top arts, uh, I don't know if it's through the funding or 
or, or, or you know, the, recognized nationally as a leader in some of this work in, in the arts and so forth. Well, you would think that the, some of the leaders would be New York and San Francisco and so forth. And they are leaders in so, in so many aspects. Yeah. But San Diego's position nationally, as far as when it comes to the arts, as far as receiving funds, you know, overall, and also the exposure that it gets as an arts community. Because when people think of the arts, usually, and I know little, very little about this type of stuff, but if I think about the arts, I usually think about L.A., San Francisco, New York, and that's about it. But San Diego's right up there. San Diego's right up there, and I think a lot of times people don't don't realize that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, we always think about L.A. and New York or San Francisco because the, that's where a lot of funding is, is, you know, that's the one thing we don't necessarily have in terms of these larger, you know, five, uh, you know, 500, you know, co companies that are just tons of money's going into these areas. So definitely there's more, I would say overall, more funding in those core areas. But that said, as I think the uh, San Diego uh, arts community is just so, so strong and so resilient. Uh, for example, during this current crisis, um, there's a, a coalition of youth uh, arts organizations called the Creative Youth Development, uh, which has just been amazing. It's, it's helped funded by this uh, smaller foundation called the Claire Rose Foundation here in the San Diego area. Uh, but it's a coalition that gets together now almost on a weekly basis and talks about like, how can we continue to provide arts education programming to youth and especially youth that are underserved and this is just not just in film but you know arts dance music um you name it there's so many wonderful organizations out there like aja project that does photography uh or the dave harps foundation that does music production with kids um so yeah there's a strong coalition that's working together um to keep um the youth arts education programs going during this time of crisis and in general too, always, always trying to better oneself and better our programming, make it more youth centered uh, and make it more impactful for the youth and really help these kids. Uh, and then also you have the commission for the arts and culture here. Yes. Which has always been very, um, you know, it's been a great resource for the organization. Uh, we receive money. It's called a organizational support program, which is, a very rare kind of source of money where you know it, it helps with the just overall running of the organization the nonprofit so so many funders like to you know fund like education programs or specific programs which I understand but in general lots of nonprofits and arts nonprofits they just need help with like you know paying the rent or paying staff and stuff like that so a lot of these funders they like to you know fund the the nice education arts education program and you know, working with kids, but they don't understand. Well, it also takes you know administrative staff and the facility and 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 rentals and <laughs> you know your leases and all this kind of stuff just to kind of continue. So the commission for arts and culture support is really important. Um, um, and then the other big uh, funding source is the California Arts Council. So thankfully, we live in California, which has also been a huge support. And thankfully, that budget continue to rise because there was a period there in the 90s where it just was almost decimated the California Arts Council so now it's really strong and uh, we receive support to go into schools from the California Arts Council we re receive support to work with the juvenile court school systems uh, we, re we receive support for the film festival to bring the do the to do the two scene field trips that I mentioned earlier so again thankfully California and city of San Diego have support for the uh, the arts uh 
that says, I hate to say this and not to be a downer, but you know, this crisis is going to be a challenge to continue. Um, you know, we're already seeing cities, you know, um, now uh, furloughing uh, or laying off staff. Uh, so people are already talking about the less tax income coming in. And so you know that's going to affect the arts community uh, negatively, unfortunately. So you now I've been talking about this recently, this whole crisis. So if all of our arts organizations, whether it's you know the symphony or the theater, La Jolla Playhouse or whatever, so number one, you lose your earned income. You know you can't sell tickets. But uh, but on top of that, if you start losing like city support or uh, state support, then we're really going to be looking at. Uh, some really uh, harsh times for the arts community. And again, I want to stress to everybody that now's the time more than ever to support the arts and support filmmakers, support artists, support arts organizations. I mean, people always kind of talk about what's essential and, oh, you know, you know, we always, we, we know there's core things in life. we got to have housing and food and stuff like that. But, you know, you can't tell me the arts are not essential because that's all we're doing it every day we're watching movies we're, we're listening to music and all this was created by arts and so we constantly are getting this you know feedback all oh, the arts are not important the arts are not important but they really are they are our government our city officials state officials everyone needs to know that uh, no matter what we have to continue funding arts and arts organizations and arts programs because that's the soul and the essence of who we are is 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 human beings and so um so yeah it's going to be some interesting times coming down the pipeline but i encourage everyone to still fight for and uh, arts programs arts organizations and advocate for the arts absolutely like uh, you were talking about essentials like food fuels our food fuels our body but the arts fuel our soul and it's so important that we do support the arts and continue to support the arts and, um, you know, since I retired from Border Angels in November, and now with Gente Unida, we're, we were working on a, a program with kids that we've been doing for a long, long time. And we, like you, will continue to do that. But we're, now we're doing it virtually. So we're going to be teaching music and arts and so forth virtually with the migrant children in Tijuana. And I know that you were working on a virtual program or, or became a virtual program and about something very, very important. Like this year, one of the biggest things in all of our lives is making sure that people vote. We got to make sure that people vote in November. But the other thing that we got to make sure uh, that people do, and, and you're working on this, is the census. How is that project going about getting the, making, making sure people participate in the census? Yeah, so, you know, connected to our work I mentioned earlier, we do a lot of community production. Uh, and the whole point is to get stories from different neighborhoods and, and, and communities out there. Um, and so there's a program uh, that we've been working on it's called Speak City Heights. And so it's focusing on City Heights. And in this case, uh, working with other organizations like Mid-City Can uh, or Naleo that already work with the community members in the City Heights area and help to get the message out. So uh, we already produced a video about the census. Uh, we work with Blanca Romero from Naleo. Um, and the, and, the, and of course the video right now is uh, originally we were going to do community screenings and, you know, have this dialogue and booths and stuff like that, but now it's all virtual. So it's on social media and it's on speakcityheights.org. Uh, and you can check it out. It's a video, a video about the importance of, um, of the census. Uh, and we're going to continue doing that work. Um, 
promoting uh, the census in different languages. Uh, you know, we work a lot with the Vietnamese community in City Heights area, uh, in the Somali community. So we'll work on getting in different languages, producing content. Um, and additionally, with uh, the census work in City Heights, we're also trying to promote the small businesses and the community organizations there. So we want to keep the small businesses alive too. So you're going to be seeing some more video and some social media content from us, you know, trying to promote uh, what the these wonderful organizations are doing. For example, the Little Saigon Foundation, uh, what they're doing to number one, a lot of the uh, local uh, stores are actually producing masks now, sewing masks and getting those masks out into for members and getting them to uh, small businesses. But then also, you know, how do we keep these small businesses alive by takeout or just promoting their their in their offerings and stuff like that so you'll you'll see us do that so that's that's a virtual production work we were doing in terms of the film programming you know luckily a lot of these films already were uh, or online you know the, the distributors had the platform so our digital gym cinema was immediately able to kind of transfer over we call it uh, dgc at home dgc at home is a virtual movie theater option um, again, I'm not sure this is a long-term option, but this is definitely what we got going right now. So every week we're still releasing two to three films, but now we're releasing two to three films virtually with Kino uh, and uh, Magnolia Pictures and Film Move and different distributors. And what they provided us is with our very specific uh, URL links that go specifically to supporting our nonprofit. So you can watch this film online uh, from your home on TV or on a laptop or you know smart device. But then that percentage of that, it's like $12 to see a movie, a five-day rental, that percentage goes back to supporting our specific art house movie, the, the digital gym cinema. So our movies uh, are online, our community production is starting to go online. Um, our education programs, our Saturday Teen Producers Project class, that's online as well. So the kids meet via Zoom. Um, you know, we've given them access to Adobe Premiere to edit from their homes. And so they're starting to continue the, to produce their content. Um, so that's, that's working on Saturdays. However, I see the biggest challenge, and this is the challenge that is going to be a challenge for everybody in terms of school districts as well, is like, how do we reach those, uh, you know, underserved and, and the hard to, to reach, right? So how do we continue our youth education programs at the juvenile court school systems or affordable housing complexes for those students that don't have access to computers or may, might not even have internet? Um, and then how do we change our software and our programming to adjust to the skills and or technology that the families and kids have. And so, you know, we're used to getting kids to our programs and using our Apple computers and laptops and different software, or we, we take our computers and softwares there. So, but now if, you know, if a young student, you know, hopefully they get a Chromebook, maybe, you know, a young Hoover High School student gets a Chromebook um, that they can take home. First of all, they got to hopefully have access to a Chromebook. Then they have to have access to internet. And then so what can we do via that Chromebook and the internet they might have to teach them still the importance of digital storytelling and technology training and education. So that's gonna take some time um, to get our online offerings, you know, for schools and, uh, you know, uh, community organizations back online because there's a lot more to it than just, you know, you know teaching, you know, how to, you know, use a video camera online. Yes, absolutely, and the uh, the importance of the 
the fact that we're living in a whole different world today and we'll never go back to what, the way we lived before, there are, there are actually some blessings to um, the lessons that we are learning. We, we're also working with, um, with Blanca Romero and Naleo mm -hmm. on the census, and we were dealing with the farm worker community, how we got a, you know, their frontline uh, people as well as the healthcare workers and, and the blue collar workers, et cetera, the farm workers. You know, thanks to them, we have the food and so forth, and we got to make sure that they're included in the census. So they are, our pr program that we have with Gente Unida, which is a virtual education program to the kids in the shelters in Baja California, uh, is something that is very, very important to keep the children uh, in tune and, and as normal as possible and being educated about the arts and having artists participate as teachers and musicians participate as teachers. Because these children, you know, six, seven, eight years old, um, you know, they, they realize that there's something unusual going on and we've got to show them. It reminds me of one of my favorite films of all time, which was dealing with the most difficult, one of the most difficult times ever in our, in our history, but putting a positive spin. And this isn't like a film for the film festival, but it's a very well-known film. And it's a film um, that deals with um, uh, the, the Holocaust. And that uh, even, even in the Holocaust, there's the little boy, Josh, and I don't remember the father's name, and he's trying to make it seem like, like it's a game, like there is hope, yeah. that there is going to be a better day, and, and so forth. And I think we need to keep that with our children, not only with our children, but also with our elders and, and with everybody, but especially those, those two communities. Um, well, Ethan, I, you know, I, uh, I'm a big fan of your works. You're a dear friend, and, and the work that you and the Latino Film Festival team, as you mentioned, has done is unbelievable. And there's so many things to the, uh, to the work that you're involved with. that I think a lot of people just associate you with one thing. And one of the things that we, uh, we like to do with uh, the podcast is to maybe talk about things that maybe people didn't know, like with you, you know, being a musician, playing the violin, the, the guitar, and, and that background. Many people probably don't know that about you. So um, in, in closing, how would you define um, this is something that I've asked some of the, the guests. What to you is love? When, when somebody says love, you know, this is what love is. Like I always like to say, love is an action, you know, not just a word. Love has no borders, et cetera. Those are sayings that I've always, uh, you know, stressed. But uh, what, what to you is, is love? When somebody says, what is love? How, how would you answer that? Interesting. <laughs> uh, for me, love is about giving to others. And, uh, it's about how you treat others. For me, that's been my, my life's work. Um, it's not about what I'm kind of personally feeling at the current time. What can I give back to the community and to others and help the great, for the greater good? And to me, that's what I continue to strive for, whether, you know, whether it's an education program or a film program or now, uh, like you mentioned, I, I, I've gone back to playing music. I, I play uh, the mandolin now. I changed over. <laughs> um, so again, how can I give that love via music or via art or via film? But again, it's about the greater good, about the community. What are we doing to help others and to make this world a better place? Um, you know, for... Well, you're definitely a, a good example of that. Uh, just this morning, I was we're working on a film um, that we're going to be finalizing probably within the next month or so that we've been working on for well over a year now. And, you know, I'll give you information on that later. Also a television uh, series that we're doing. And, I, and I'm working with people, you know, well-known people in the arts world, WNBC and, and now his brother Bruno and 
we were just with Josefina Lopez and so on and so forth. And one of the, the wonders about uh, the wonderful things about this world is that they have a wide network of contact so they can spread um, that, you know, that message of love, which, which is really what makes the world go round. And, and that's the only way we're going to overcome hate is uh, by practicing love, not just talking about it, but really practicing it. And that's something that you've always done. So, so just, just as we end here, so how can people find out more about the many projects that you're working on? I know you have various websites and something, and we'll make sure to post those. But uh, as far as, you know, hey, I want to, you know, when is the Latino Film Festival going to be? And how can I see these virtual films right now? How can people uh, get in touch with that? Yeah, go to the digitalgym.org, digitalgym.org to check out our weekly uh, virtual movie programming. Um, click on cinema. You can check out the movie programmings. And then also if you click on uh, workshops and the education button, you can see more about our upcoming youth film programs as well. So that's probably the best way to start uh, immediately. And then, you know, in the course of the next month or two months or so, sdlatinofilm.com, sdlatinofilm.com will have some updates on, on the film festival and steps there. Well, Ethan, okay. Well, Ethan, thank you very much. You're thank definitely you. a buen hombre. One of the buenísimos. Uh, so uh, thank you for, for joining us on Buen I've been, Hombre. I've been upgraded from bad hombre, hombre to buen hombre. <laughs> <laughs> and magnificent mujer like Josefina Lopez, like Sarah Bella, our producer. And on behalf of her, on behalf of me, Enrique Morones, thank you all very much for joining us on another edition of Buen Hombre, Magnificent Mujer, which you can uh, listen to on or, or, or look at the website buenhombre.org, magnificentmujer.org. We're also on all sorts of uh, different, uh, um, I don't know what you call it, Sarah, to be able to, to tune in and listen to these podcasts on Spotify, on Amazon, on, on all sorts of different uh, networks. So thank you, uh, Ethan. Stay safe, you and your lovely family. And uh, we will continue to move forward because love is an action, not just the word. Muchas gracias. Y si se puede. Be safe, everybody. Gracias.